Ladies and gentlemen, it is episode 103 of the Saints FC podcast. And this week I am joined uh, by Tom Parker and just Tom Parker. We, we can relax. We haven't got any guests in the room tonight, Tom, just me and you. We've not got any people who, who know what they're talking about and are going to make us uh, look a bit silly. No, there's there's no there's no silly. need to blag anymore, Tom. We can <laughs> we can just revert to, to normal types. So all the listeners, you can you can breathe a big sigh of relief. You've got me and Tom um, tonight to cover um, what I think I'm calling the title race episode. Oh, yeah, it's quite a fruity name. It, it it is quite a quite a fruity name, but you know, seeing as we're only two points off the top of the table. Um, why not? Tottenham and Liverpool have got to play each other on Wednesday. Yeah. Leicester at some point are gonna are gonna lose a match, I'm sure of it. So, you know. All we have to I, do is I just, like just win all of our remaining games and that and then it's all ten. totally in our hands. You know, what is it, seven out of ten wins now? There's nothing nothing's impossible here, John. Yeah. No, it's, it's it's a good position to be in, isn't it, Tom? Um yeah, I mean, the, my my biggest worry this week actually is uh, about a work meeting overrunning. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I've got to go to a board of governors meeting on Wednesday. I say go, not physically, but um, yeah, we've got a board of governors meeting, an extraordinary meeting to discuss the financial accounts audit, which I've got to join at twenty five minutes past five. And um, Tom, I don't know if you've ever been in a higher education board of governors meeting. Probably not, but but they tend to go on and on and on. So there's a real threat of clash here with our game against Arsenal. And I'm just trying to work out, um, I don't think any of my colleagues listen to this podcast, but I'm just trying to work out, you know, how (laughs) safe am I going to be able to have, you know, one screen on that and the other screen on the financial audited accounts. And um, I mean... I think I'd have to be going back to like the France 98 World Cup when I jumped up and cheered in a maths lesson um, listening to an England game on my kind of like little pocket radio in the back of the class and got detention for for that. So, yeah, I don't know. No. I, was, I was in a meeting in Seattle uh, watching, a get, watching the Saints-Liverpool League Cup semi-final surreptitiously when uh, Shane Long scored the goal that obviously plays such an important part in the credits of this podcast and, and I sort of did a sort of <laughs> like, I think people thought I had, like, was having like kidney stones or something um, <laughs> so this, this I mean this is back in the days when you had meetings in person right Tom yes yeah when, when they... there was a thing called airplanes you used to get on them you used to go places I mean that yeah. just that just sounds mad isn't it what like why on earth would anyone fly all the way from London to Seattle for a meeting I mean wow just sounds yeah, absurd those, doesn't it those sweet air miles although I did go into the office obviously not in Seattle in London uh just on Friday so you yeah know, really mixing things up a bit in this place yeah well and, and you've had the COVID so I mean I think we're going to pin this tier three squarely on you 
<laughs> I think that's a fair bet. Yeah. A, a disclaimer to listeners that Tom Parker certainly did not go out whilst he was still presenting sin- symptoms with the coronavirus, and he did Definitely. follow the government guidelines regarding isolation. Absolutely. And yeah. I'd encourage everyone to do the same. <laughs> okay. Anyway, well, I mean, we, let's let's get off um, work meetings and um, <laughs> actually give us a shout. You know, podcast at gmail.com if you're listening to this kind of uh, whilst you're in a work meeting. Uh, do let us know how you listen. I know some of you like to, to jog whilst listening. Lots of people walking the dogs. Commuting is, is the obvious one. But um, I suppose if you're not commuting, how do you squeeze listening to the podcast in these days? Um. Maybe maybe you just don't, in which case you're not listening to this and you won't be emailing in. But if you are listening, do email in and let us know. <laughs> right. I mean, we wouldn't have done all of that nonsense, would we, if we'd had a serious football journalist with us today, Tom? So, um, wouldn't, have, wouldn't have been allowed. Yeah. And um, you know, with the silliness being back, we also had uh, 2,000 fans back at St. Mary's. Yes. And you know what? It sounded really good. Like, this is the weird thing. So I, I think kind of in the build-up to all of this kind of lockdown and everything... You never really, well, I mean, you appreciate the fans in a stadium when it's like got an amazing atmosphere and stuff like that. Um, but I don't know if people were necessarily savouring those moments. And actually, even with 2,000 fans in, I, I thought it that St. Mary sounded good. I mean, there was a great rendition of Owen and the Saints um, just before kickoff. Um, you had the humour that we were talking about in last week. And I, I've got to say, I'm really jealous of the the 2,000 fans that got a chance to go. But fair play, it's uh, season ticket holders. I'm only a member, so yeah, I'm a bit further down the list, Tom. I just only hope I get to see this Ralph side play before the end of the season. Absolutely. Well, yeah, uh, I think you're right. That the sound was great. We we spoke about this, didn't we, with the Brighton game in terms of having 2,000 committed fans uh, is actually gives you a real atmosphere. But I think as well perhaps more so now is with the lockdown the games being played behind closed doors and, and maybe people watching you know, more Saints games than they would have normally. Um, I think, you know, there was a negativity at St Mary's, wasn't there, John, with the, around the, you know, passing around between the centre-backs and passing back to McCarthy. But now, obviously, everyone knows that this is our game. So mm. people aren't getting on their back. So maybe, you know, there's that as well, that they just, they know that they, that they're, that, the team knows what it's doing. So if the team goes back to McCarthy and then passes out to Ramon, he goes back to McCarthy, don't moan because you know it's all just waiting for that perfect moment. They're just doing their thing, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, I mean, the 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 way Saints passed it around the back, I, I know we've covered this quite a lot this season, but it just, every game, you, you know, you watch it and every game, I mean... Uh, this must just come from the history of having watched Saints for so long. But every time, every time they do it, there is a slight terror in me that things are going to go wrong. And <laughs> um, but I, sh- I should be calm now because we're just so good at doing it. I, I find it, you know, what was once really terrifying is now becoming just. I mean, it is impressive and terrifying now. But it used to just be terrifying. But I, I like the impressive part that we've managed to bring in and. Um, Vestergaard was absolutely awesome uh, in, in this game and he, he was against Brighton as well Bednarek as well and, and Romeo and Carl Walker-Peters and Bertrand and McCarthy all kind of contributing to that, those sort of defensive passes it's just great I, I just love it Tom, it's so good at the moment Yeah I, I, I don't, I mean it's difficult to know where to begin 
Um, I mean, John, we shared some stats that that I think kind of summed up Saints' dominance in the first half. And obviously, Sheffield United are poor. Um, we, you know, that that's not exactly an incredible football insight, but um, uh, you know. Seven, 20, 20 minutes into the match, seven of Sheffield United's players had still failed to take a touch. I think... I mean, that, that is yeah, astonishing. I mean, let, let's just dwell on nuts. that for a second. So there's 11 players in the team and seven of them haven't had a touch in the first 20 minutes. And I, I when I first read that, I was like, oh, so they must have been in the opposition half. And I was like, no, it just seven of them haven't touched it for, you know, best part of a quarter of the game. And they got to half time. Sheffield United have played only 74 passes. Um, and, yeah, I, I think I moaned a bit last night, John, about match of the day and about they kind of just did a very perfunctory sort of brief brief um, summary, really, of the Saints game. But I wonder if it's just because Saints were so kind of ruthlessly efficient, weren't they? They just, they did what we didn't used to do to teams, which is we just, they just dispatched them. Mm. And we're kind of a bit like they did against Newcastle, but I mean, where do you begin? They play so well. I mean, Vestergaard. I mean, I was I, I, sorry to say, well, I was listening to the Guardian's Football Weekly podcast. They talked about Vestergaard being a possible, you know, Van Dyke replacement at Liverpool. But, um, but like, what's this thing where he's going forward and then like no look passes? <laughs> the guy's an animal. It's <laughs> great. I mean, let, let's work our way through. Um, uh, you know, in in, in the the annals of time and progressing from start to finish because we can we can start with Vestergaard um how was that awesome through ball uh to Walcott it's such a shame that he was offside because the ball was beautiful but he, he lost it anyway but I think that that for me was the first moment in this game where I just thought oh wow you know Vestergaard is on it again and um it makes such a difference, doesn't it? I mean, he can do the short passes and we're doing really well at playing straight through the middle through Romeo and James Ward-Prowse. But the fact that he's also able to look up and spot the run, runs of Walcott, Armstrong, um, Ings or Adams and, and just release them, it's just it, it just gives us amazing options. And to have someone who can play a ball like that and, and accurately, and it, yeah, he did it for Carl Walker-Peters in the game against Brighton, he did it for Walcott here, and he did it a few other times as well in this game where he, he started really good chances from really good long balls, which it's just it's great to have that variety in the way that Saints can start an attack. So, you know, they can draw the opposition out and then release an attack either by playing through the middle and seeming to, seemingly having the technical skill to get through a congested middle, or they can just, just release it over the top like that. Yeah, he... I mean, I, I, I imagine that he's kind of um, like a rogue element, isn't he? It's almost like you can imagine that you would be Chris Wilder and you would set your team up to do a particular thing. But what do you, you know, you anticipate probably kind of long balls over the top from centre-back from time to time. But what do you do if you've got a bloke who is actually really quite skillful on the ball, covers, because <laughs> of his huge gait, covers about a third of the pitch in about eight steps, uh, and can and is equally comfortable, like I say, a long ball over the top or fizzing the ball into a forward. I mean, his confidence must be through the roof. And when you consider, I mean, he was taken off at half time in the game that we do not speak the name, you know. And what a, an incredible resurgence uh, of a, of, you know, has there been a, a, you know, in Saints' recent history, a player who's gone from zero to hero in such a rapid amount of time? I, 
I can't think of any. He's just, you know, he, just everything about him just exudes complete class and confidence. Tom, I'm just, I've got the latest odds for the Saints FC Podcast Awards and the odds have been <laughs> slashed on Vestergaard getting the most improved player of the season award. I mean, yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. I mean, let's let's move through the game because there's so many good moments in this. And, um, you know, really it's a wonder that we only scored, I, I think, three goals from the amount of dominance that we had in this game. Um, the, the next kind of, I suppose, talking point, it was in about 15 minutes in, Adams plays that lovely through ball to Ings, which um, Ramsdale smothers. It's not a great finish from Ings. He got a bit too close to the keeper, I think. He, he almost looked like he was going to hit it with his left, but then moved his foot over it to hit it with his right and then just didn't quite get the shot away in, in, in that sort of um, powerful and, you know, in the way that you'd expect Ings to finish a, a shot from there. Um, and then, you know, again, I think maybe a couple of minutes later, that's when we have the Vestergaard dribbling through the middle of the pitch. And um, when, when he, he just does that Sheffield United player, I'm not sure which one it is, but um, I think this is where he, he looks one way, Sheffield United player goes that way and he just kind of sails past him um, like a top class, you know, five foot five technical dribbler. Uh, six foot six Yannick Vestergaard just sort of, sort of cruises past the Sheffield United player and then plays another you know really good through ball uh, to Ings which uh, he, again he doesn't quite manage to get on top of it but just a, a amazing kind of yeah you know, in the first kind of 15 minutes that we've had three really interesting through balls two of them from Vestergaard and um, this oh, this is sort of turning into the Yannick Vestergaard podcast again isn't it Tom? Yeah, but he's unusual. I mean, I, I hate to, you know, you don't want to make the comparison, but it is a bit similar to Van Dyke in, in terms of just the confidence, the, you know, a, a rare combination of size and power, speed and grace. Mm. And I've been fortunate to watch a lot of Saints like you have, John, over the last sort of 25 years or so. And I've, you know, I know people don't like him, but I actually think Van Dyke's the best player I've ever seen play for Saints. But, you know, he does, Vestergaard reminds you a lot of that. Just that ability that, almost the supreme confidence of like, I've got this. You know, right, that's the way he's playing right now. Like, you don't need to worry. I'm here. I'm going to sort this out. But then also I'm going to give you a complete new dimension attacking-wise. Um, you know, it, it, if you look at the whole team, the whole team's improved, but... Him and I would say Romeo just gone up, you know, not just one or two levels. They're just a different class to what they were. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd have been quite pleased for us to sell Vestergaard to Leicester in the summer. I wouldn't have given it two seconds thought, really. Um, and now he he seems pretty much critical to to the side. Um, he's he's doing a wonderful job. I mean, I, I get the comparisons to Van Dyke, but. I don't think Vestergaard is that similar to, to Van Dijk. I think Van Dijk is a bit more of an, an athletic player, you know, a bit quicker. Um, and this is one of the things that we were trying to uh, pick out last week as well, is just trying to work out what Vestergaard has done um, uh, with, with Alex Stewart from, from TIFO, because he's not the quickest Vestergaard, and he wouldn't be because it's a really big frame that he's got to get moving. Um but he's clearly using his brain, I think, a lot more. Quicker in the mind. 
which which makes it makes sure that he's in the right place at the right time. And uh, again, he nearly was um, with a header from a James Will Prowse corner, um, just shy of the the top corner. And he looked really really upset with himself, uh, Vestergaard, which. Um, yeah, as a central defender being upset that he hasn't got his fourth goal yeah, in sort of early <laughs> mid-December, it's, it's quite impressive, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think he's, uh, since the sort of, this is ridiculous stat, since the 1st of November or something, he's scored more goals than Arsenal. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he, but he's entitled to be annoyed, isn't he? Because obviously he's, you know, we've spoke about this before, John, you talk about footballers, obviously, like all of us, I guess, you know, confidence-based individuals. Um, and he's obviously feeling that Ward Prowse is going to find him, you know, from from those corners, a statistically significant amount of the time, Ward Prowse will find him. Now, he is taller than anyone else on that pitch. So he should be getting, he should win the header. And obviously, he's annoyed if he's not at least getting them on target. I mean, Ward, the, the sort of palpable disappointment in the ground when Ward Prowse uh, only managed to lift that thirty-yard free kick onto the onto the roof of the goal. Kind of tells you something similar in terms of how far they've come and what people expect of them now, and also probably what they expect of themselves. Yeah, I mean the the, the level of expectation has gone up um, across the board there. There really hasn't it. Uh, I mean, it, James Will Prowse um, again. I thought he had a, had a really good game, working really hard. Walcott, I thought was, thought was fantastic. Carl Walker Peters, brilliant again. And in some ways, it was more of a mystery that we didn't manage to turn what was quite exciting and scintillating play into more opportunities for goals after those first 20 minutes. Because I can't really think of any really clear-cut chances until we get up to the the Adams goal, which again wasn't a hugely clear-cut chance in itself, was it? I mean, it's a James Will Prowse free kick. Um, Unusually... A defender gets to it, Jagielka, uh, but the clearance is pretty poor. And um, uh, I think, is it Bednarek wins the header? Well, he doesn't win the header. It bounces off his shoulder. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. He kind of misses pings. it, doesn't it? But it hits Yeah, him he and... misses the ball and it pings off his shoulder. And I think Adams just obviously reacts and anticipates it faster than anyone else. Um, also, kudos to Adams for celebrating. It's, I think, you know... I like that. You don't see enough of that, but it was a sloppy goal. Um, but that's what are I, you saying that because he's an ex Sheffield United player? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I thought that might have been a dig at VAR. You know, kudos for him oh, celebrating well. in a world where, like, you just don't know if you've ever <laughs> you just scored. don't bother until a bloke in Stockley Park says you can. Yeah, but I, I think I guess it's exactly the kind of goal that Adams is there for, isn't it? Which sounds condescending, but. Again, the players know what they're there to do. Um, and, and Ings obviously has that license to, you know, shoot from outside the box more, whereas Adams is probably, you know, getting the kind of scruffier goals that that we expect probably of Ings in his sort of loan spell at Saints. But they they needed the goal because they they dominated without really breaking through. Yeah, and then I suppose it's kind of we go into half time, and it's just after half time where we have the little bit of a worry where Sheffield United are good for about 10, 15 minutes. Um, again, going to mention Vestergaard. I, I remember him making a really good tackle, and Sheffield United had a a corner there, I think. Egan um, headed John it over Egan, the bar. Yeah, John Egan, yeah. Um, 
And but, but but that was it really. I mean, I suppose they managed more than their seventy-two passes. I think in that fifteen-minute spell, and then it was pretty dire from Sheffield United. Again, Saints were totally back in control. Um, when Stuart Armstrong uh, gets his goal, uh, which again, good play from Carl Walker Peters. Uh, Romeo kind of um, doesn't quite get it, but then wins it back. Uh, Gets it to Armstrong, who, who takes it up, has a nice little exchange with Danny Ings, and then he looks like he's found the the far corner. Um, before was this one, Jagielka kind of gets his foot in the way and yeah. then takes it the other way past um, past Ramsdale. So I, it was kind of it felt like a bit like a lucky goal, but I almost I think Stuart Armstrong's shot might have been going in anyway. When you're down, you're down, aren't you? And when you you. Teams like in Sheffield United position concede goals like that. You know, this sort of horrible slight deflection that rolls agonisingly past the keeper. Um, I thought the Haynes was offside when he picked up the ball up and I, I thought they were going to dis, uh, disallow it for that. But I think, you know, Sheffield United threw everything at Saints, didn't they? They, they you know, they changed their personnel. They put Basham on the right side to, to try and pin down Bertrand's they kind of threw everything at it and you thought, well, obviously they, they kind of have to, this is they're going to have to score because if they don't, they're going to tire and they're going to lose their confidence. And yeah, it was a well-worked goal from Saints. And again, it's kind of Armstrong popping up in a place. You know, he's a wide player popping up in the D just like he did for his goal against Newcastle. Uh, I, I think Armstrong's probably not been, not reached the heights that we would expect of him. But again, it, it shows the contribution. It's his second goal already this season. And it was another great example of Saints spreading the goals around the team. Yeah, it's, it's really nice to see that. And it was another goal from um, outside of the box, which is becoming a thing for Saints, isn't it? I mean, this this is another good stat. So um, only three players have scored four or more goals from outside of the box in 2020. And this is in the whole Premier League. Who are those three players, Tom? It's James Will Prowse, yeah, Danny Ings, and Stuart Armstrong. There you go, the top nuts, three outside of the box goal scorers in twenty twenty are all Southampton players. Yeah, I mean it's it's funny, isn't it? Because I would have thought Ralph's style of football is, um, you know, you play the percentages, which I think is you know obviously why you're encouraged to you know, win the ball back high up the pitch and and shoot quickly. But also shooting from outside the box, obviously statistically probably less likely to go in. But um, you know, you pointed this out absolutely, John, with with, with James Will Prowse, the xG on a free kick is always very low, isn't it? Yeah. But obviously, with him score, he scores an abnormal number of free kicks. Um, and Armstrong, yeah, he, he strikes the ball lovely. I mean, his goal against Palace last season was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that was a real beauty of a goal. Funny enough, uh, I, I've been thinking about this because when I think of Saints, I don't think of them as a team that are taking loads of pot shots from outside the box and loads of flair players trying to curl one in. Like, I don't know, if you had Philip Coutinho in the side, you'd expect him to get four or five goals from outside the box in the season because he'll have two or three goals in every game that he, that he plays in. But we're not... We're not doing that. And I think we are playing the percentages. And actually, when we do take a shot from outside the box, it's normally for good reason. It's because that is the, the best option available to us. And whether that's a James Will Prowse free kick or whether it's Danny Ings, who's just sort of turned a defender, put it onto his right um, foot. 
you know, just on the sort of left hand side of, of the pitch, they're, they're all that, they all are kind of presentable for Saints chances, if if you see what I mean, if you catch my drift on that, Tom. Yeah, well, they're, they're players obviously playing full of confidence. I mean, certainly Ings and, and Ward Prowse have never played better. So, you know, Ward Prowse is going to shoot from every single free kick. And the style of football we play, we are going to win free kicks in and around the box. Um, and as you say, Ings, we saw it last season, didn't we, in, uh, in, in sort of Project Restart. I think he did it against Watford. Um, and he's just kind of perfected that. You're exactly right. He did it against Aston Villa. He's kind of perfected this, just dropping the shoulder on the on the left-hand side of that D and either sort of passing it, almost passes it into the back of the net or against Villa, he can blast it. But, you know, why not? I mean, they must believe right now that everything they do is going to go in. Mm. I bet you, though, he, like Hoiberg last season probably took more shots from outside the box than probably that lot combined. And how many goals did Hoiberg score <laughs> well, last season? Yeah, not that many. R- Romeo is in danger, I think, of, um, you know, since he's had his goal with that kind of wild volley against um, West Brom. <laughs> and then he had another shot, didn't he, where the game afterwards yeah. where he got really close to scoring again. That was Newcastle. He, he now fancies a long shot in a game. Have you noticed this, Tom? Yeah, but his his long shots actually aren't that bad, are they? Well, I mean, the the one against Sheffield United was pretty dreadful. It was, it was back yeah. to sort of um, original Romeo form, I think. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things where you want to say Rosette. It wasn't Rosette. It was just a lot wide. It was probably yeah. about another goal width wide of, of the um, left post, I think, from this one. Um, so he, Romeo... He's had a few good good cracks, though, this season. Yeah, but if you're listening, Romeo, if someone else is on has it's got something better, you're allowed to pass it. But you're also allowed to have a couple more long shots before we completely write write you off, and that one as a fluke. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think the commentator said, you know, the Romeo goals are quite rare, and you can see why after that shot. It's, it's sort of that sort of uh, that sort of air of the highlights. Don't think it made into the match of the day. Um, two highlights real, I'm afraid. Um, you know, at, at this point, you're expecting, I think, Saints to get more goals. They're still turning the screw on Sheffield United. Ings gets another chance. Again, um, uh, smothered uh, by the keeper. Again, from good work from from Che Adams. And um, is this a moment to talk about the Che Adams-Ings partnership? Or do we save this for a game when they both assist each other and both score a goal? Well, what's it? I mean, I think... Ings will be kind of baffled how he didn't come away with a goal in this game. I think mm. the, the game kind of summed up everything that's great about Shai Adams, didn't it? His assist play, his work rate, his ability to hold the ball up, um, his ability to find the right pass and score a goal. Um, there can't be many more productive... I mean, obviously you've got Son and Kane, but beyond that, there can't be many more productive front two in the Premier League, can there? No, I mean Son and Kane is the only one I would think that is that is in the same sort of bracket as um, Ings and, and Adams in terms of effectiveness. I mean Son and Kane, are, they're doing this weird thing where they only seem to pass to each other. I mean, <laughs> I, I've got them both in my fancy football team now, which uh, they're, they're, they're just like guaranteed points. It's, it's great. Um, yeah. I th- the other thing which I, I thought... Um, so it's funny, kind of like going through the sort of highlights of the match in terms of this podcast, there's not like a whole load of mentions for Theo Walcott or Carl Walker-Peters or Ryan Bertrand 
Um, and I thought they were all really good and really effective in this game. Um, Stuart Armstrong as well, and he got his goal, but he was playing everywhere on the pitch, it seemed, didn't it? I mean, he, he is definitely not fixed to a position, as far as I could tell. No, but I, I don't think any of them are anymore. I mean, I'm not saying they're, you know, like Dutch total football team, but they, you know, they're happily swap wings, him and Walcott. I think Walcott looks much more comfortable out on the wing than he does playing as a central striker. He looks much more dangerous there and looks like he could, he's almost better for the team out there. Um, you know, he will swap wings happily with Armstrong. You know, you'll see Ings assisting Adams, Adams assisting Ings. I, I think that's the, the fluidity, isn't it, that they've got now. And, you know, you do imagine it must kind of cause chaos again in the opposition ranks because who's going to pop up where? Yeah, it, it leaves that level of unpredictability, doesn't it? And I think the other thing which is... um really exciting about this is the number of one twos that they're playing with each other in and around the opposition box. So um, obviously Armstrong played that one, two with Ings before getting his goal. We'll get onto Redmond's goal in a minute, but that also came from a one, two um, uh, with Romeo and the players have the confidence to be playing those sort of cute, precise passes in and around the box and finding each other and then leading to, you know, dangerous chances. And in this case, you know, goals as well. Um, Armstrong and Walcott, I think, having that ability for both of them can come central, both of them can be under across, both of them can be on either side, means the defenders are constantly uncomfortable. Dannings and Chadams are both happy to drop in deep, pick up the ball and release players. And I've always thought this sort of, you know, the 4-2-2-2 formation is a bit of a weird way to describe Ralph Hasenhutl formation but it's it's almost now um certainly when we're attacking i i don't know if you if you think about this but it's it's like a 4-4-2 in reverse so you can sometimes have a uh, bednarek and romeo staying back with with mccarthy and then carl walker peters and bertrand kind of pushing up so you've got a front line of four and then a midfield line of four and then other times it's almost like a 4-2-4 Mm. with the four of them playing quite flat across the top. I mean, if you go on the Saints website and watch the highlights, um, that first Vestergaard ball through to Walcott, you'll see all four attacking players in a line together attacking that long ball. Um, so you've got ev- you're asking a question of every single one of those defenders and all you need is one of our players to get a bit more pace or one of them to win a header and get past it. And then you've outnumbered them as well. And um it's just really exciting to watch, Tom. I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. But it's, yeah, we've spoken about this before. It's not a sort of incredible insight from us, but, you know, this attacking the red zone for Saints, overloading players, and Saints just seem to have worked incredibly hard at getting it right. And I thought, um, I don't know if you've read the Carl Walker-Peters interview, in, in the Guardian, yeah, I did. Um, yeah, it was a very interesting yeah, one, actually. Very interesting, but he comes across as a very bright, intelligent, balanced young man. Uh, and in that, he talks about the system. He talks about how well the the players know the system, and he talks about the press. And it's I, I sort of you hear players refer to it, but I never, I've never, I've not seen a player talk about it so explicitly. That basically, the press is set by the two forwards. So if 
if they decide to press, that's when the rest of the team presses. If they don't, the rest of the team will, will hold back. So obviously it shows the importance of Ings and Adam and then obviously Walcott coming in and getting it straight away. Um, I just thought it was a really interesting snippet in terms of just seeing how Ralph has set them up. I mean, is it, is it, and I did notice that in the interview as well. I mean, as with Jonathan Lee, there's perhaps the next journalist we should uh, set oh, our sights on to get the, on the podcast. The best sports writer in the business. There we go. You've heard it here. Um, the, the pressure's on for me to now get hold of him and try and, try and <laughs> coax him onto the podcast. Um, we'll try and do that. But yeah, I mean, the way Carl Walker Peter said that, it's almost a bit of a throwaway comment. But actually, it offers you a big insight into seeing how Saints work and why Saints are so much better when Danny Ings is on the pitch. Because um, you know, when you see the press led by Danny Ings, it does make more sense. You, you can... Well, everyone else around the Saints side is pressing with more purpose and um, the players seem to know what they're doing. And I think Danny Ings is kind of the primary leader of that of that sort of particular kind of element. But you're right. I mean, the fact that... And maybe that's why Walcott looks better in the wing positions in a way because he doesn't have that same pressure to be not just the person to go to for the attacking moves, but also be the person calling the shots in terms of the tactics. Yeah, and also he's just a, a much more deadly finisher, isn't he? So teams know that if they lose, you know, teams know that if they lose the ball, um, they're going to have one of the more deadly strikers in the Premier League to to deal with, and maybe that then causes them to panic or or rush a yeah. little bit more. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Probably, you know. Adam's for all his talents is not a finisher like Ings and, and Walcott definitely isn't. So I imagine it it just gives a little more more um, spiciness to the press. Mm. I think as well the way Ings runs, it's almost like he doesn't look like he's running fast and then suddenly there's a bit of an acceleration. You're like, oh, I'm in trouble here. Yeah, it's how I almost watch defenders and keepers. You know, They look up, see Ings. He doesn't look like he's bothering them and then suddenly he's just like right there. Um he does didn't Carl write write a really interesting article about Danny Ings running style? He he did. I mean, you'd have to go back. I mean, that was quite early on last season, I think, when yeah. it was quite difficult to find anything positive to write about Saints apart from Danny Ings. So you know, Carl had to go deep into every single element of his of his game. But yeah, you're right. It's, there, there is an interesting element to how Danny Ings runs, which um, is worth kind of digging back through. Um, I suppose one of the, the other good things that we probably noticed was that our bench seemed pretty strong, mm. um, which I think that's kind of, in, in terms of the title race, um, that's Saints' biggest flaw, isn't it? It's squad depth in the fact that we don't have loads and loads of players that we can turn to. And you do notice a difference when Danny Ings is out, although we've managed to maintain our, our place in the top four despite his uh, long absence. Um, but having Nathan Redmond come on for Theo Walcott was a really great addition. He had a lot of energy. He had a point to prove. And within a few minutes, he'd scored an absolute beauty of a goal. I really, really enjoyed this one. Um, yeah. We have a sort of rare James Ward-Prowse free kick that misses everyone. Um, ends up over on the far side of the pitch. Nathan Redmond just goes and collects it. I think he beats one Sheffield United player. Passes the ball to Romeo. Doesn't look particularly like anything's on, but Romeo gives it straight back. Um, 
you know, they get around another Sheffield United defender through the one, two. And then he, I think with almost like four players around him, he finds the channel and then slips it into the far corner, curving round. And it's funny, I think for probably the last five or six times, Nathan Redmond has attempted a chance like this. It's, it's gone wide, hasn't it? And this one just mm. was perfect. Yeah, what, what an enigma Redmond is, isn't he? Yeah, that, it was a really hard chance. And, and he scored it. Uh, I wonder if there's something on the fact that we were 2-0 up and there was eight minutes to go and there's no pressure on. Um, you know, would he have scored that goal if it was 0-0 and, and the 82 minutes gone? But what, you know, what a talented player he is. And we spoke about him last week, I think, didn't we, John, about the, the miss um, after after being teed up mm. by Ings. Um, you know, he... he, he just obviously has everything in his locker, but it's about consistent application. But maybe also it's about the fact that he's now got a player in front of him who he's going to struggle to dislodge. So he has to he has to perform. He has to to do the to to do it when he when he comes on the pitch. Um, it was a great goal. But also, all credit to Romeo because you know would Romeo before this season have attempted that one touch pass into an into an on rushing player into you know, into a group of um, opposition defenders, possibly not, you know. So I think it kind of showed the confidence throughout the team, and and you know we're going to need, you know, when we do t- challenge for this title, John, which we are challenging for the title, squad depth is important. We know this. Um, so to have an impact player uh, like Redmond or Walcott come off the bench, mm. it's going to make a big difference. Uh, I'd feel a lot more excited by either Redmond or Walcott coming off the bench than. You know, if we look at maybe Sofiane Buffel. Oh, gosh, yeah. 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 I mean, Again, I mean, Sofiane Buffel, incredibly talented football player, but, yeah, you just feel that someone like Redmond or Walcott could potentially change a game in a way that, well, I don't know, Sofiane Buffel could, but he just rarely did. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, what was so Did he, he had like four assists by the time he left Saints? About five or six goals, you know, for a player of his talent, he just didn't mm. did it, didn't influence games, didn't change games enough. But yeah, and you know, and then we've we've still got Gineppo on the bench yeah. who who's going to give you something different. Um, sometimes good, sometimes not so good. But you're right; it did look the strongest bench we've had for a while. Yeah, uh, we had Diallo what, came on as well, didn't we? Yeah, got a few more tidy. minutes. I mean, uh, I th- did you I notice him? Most impressive. Yeah, well, he looked. I mean, I think he's going to get a game soon. Well, he's going to get a game, isn't he, sooner rather than later? Because Romeo's on a one one card away from a booking, um, and you wonder whether a, a booking ban. You mean getting the five? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, and I, you wonder whether um, he will. Ralph will change things up for this Arsenal. We'll talk about the Arsenal game, but you know, maybe bring Diallo in for that game. I I guess we've got Arsenal then Man City, haven't we? In quick exactly. succession. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't want Romeo to get a yellow card against Arsenal and then not be there for City because I think he would upset City, wouldn't he? And City are a better team. Yeah. I mean, you want to save that yellow card for a bit of a nasty tackle on um, De, Bruyne, De Bruyne, don't you? Yeah, that was Sterling. But mm. yeah, so, you know, my gut feeling, I think Ralph might change it up for the Arsenal game. But... Um, but yeah, he looked very good. But I was really impressed with. I'm going to miss Alundalu. Yeah, I'll go with that. I was just going to say Unlandulu, but um, Unlandulu. 
I'm going to get that really wrong. I'm really sorry. But L- listeners, you know, I mean, we've gone through this before, haven't we, Tom? <laughs> Our pronunciation. Yeah, saintsfcpodcast.gmail.com. Um, if you'd like to record the correct pronunciation of any words that we have mispronounced, do send that in to saintsfcpodcast.gmail.com. I mean, he looked lively, didn't he? Oh, yeah. I mean, he looks kind of unpredictable. Um, and it's interesting, you know, that would have been Omar Femi last season. Yeah. Omar Femi, nowhere near this team. And, but yeah, Alondalu looks full of energy, gets the press, looks like he, you know, would cause a bit of chaos. Um, I really, I, I thought he looked really good. And, and I thought he kind of, he's obviously now, um, you know, Long wasn't even on the bench. So he's obviously the third, you know, is he now the third striker? You'd yeah. argue that Long's fall is, as, as, you know, is maybe not the player that he once was. So, you know, is is Dan and and Alundulu the future? I, I mean, it is interesting. I mean, the bench was notable from its absence of Shane Long, and perhaps um, I don't know. Ralph has been listening again. I mean, when he heard you, Tom, say that Shane Long is the answer to yesterday's question, I I think we can all see. I think we all want Shane Long to be something that he's never quite going to be. But I, how old is he now? He must be, what, 33, 32 years old, something like that? I think, which is quite old. But then, well, I say that, I mean, I'm quite old for a footballer. Um, obviously, he keeps himself super fit, but you, you do wonder whether Ralph is sort of thinking, well, you know, I need players that can that in that next season or in two years' time can be here and be part of a future of a club. And I'm sure Long, you know, brings huge amounts by all accounts off the pitch um you know brings a huge amount of professionalism and dedication and um leadership off the pitch uh, you know so it's not that i don't think he has a he has a future saints he clearly does because they gave him a i think a two-year contract extension mm. but it's obviously just that the way we're playing right now ralph obviously feels that Ulandulu, i think it's probably the fourth different way i've pronounced it since we started talking about him <laughs> as uh, Jay just offers us more. Yeah, I mean, if you think so, he's been playing um, regularly, if we say, like, seasons with more than 20 games um, since 2006. So we're looking at, like, 14, 15 years now uh, where he's been sort of regular football player. And he's only got more than 10 goals in three seasons. He got one in for Reading in the Championship where he got 25 goals in 44 games, which is... Uh, very impressive. He got um, 11 for West Brom out of 34 Premier League games and he got 13 for Saints um, out of 34 games in that season, the 2015-16 season, which was a great, you know, everything went well that season. Yeah, but since then, you know, sense. five goals, two goals, five goals, three goals. It, he's not he's not doing the kind of critical things, is it? I mean, I know Shane Long's game is not all about goals, but... Um, because we're not hitting the ball long in the way where we're kind of it's sort of hit and hope and then let the strikers fight for it, we're now hitting a, a long ball where you've got either Theo Walcott or Stuart Armstrong running into space, you know, from a Vestigard through ball rather than a kind of hit, hit and attack the ball. Um, which I think Shane Long is absolutely brilliant at. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's it's yesterday's question. We're not asking it anymore, Tom. No. And, uh, you know, he will still pop up and do important things for Saints. 
Uh, and I, I, you know, I'm a massive Shane Long fan. I think he's brilliant to watch, and he's a, he's a brilliant player. And there's a reason why, you know, he's never been like you say, John. Apart from that one season in Reading, he's never been a prodigious goal scorer. But you know, look at the managers. You know, Kuman saw something in him. Ralph sees something in him. So there's obviously a player there that that managers want in and around their squad. Yeah, definitely. Um... So, Tom, I mean, that that brings us to the conclusion for a fairly simple 3-0 victory against Sheffield United. Uh, Sheffield United, one point this season so far. I mean, that is absolutely dreadful. Um, Really interesting article in The Athletic about Chris Wilder. Well, I say it's about Chris Wilder. It's Mm. actually more about Dave Merrington and the way that he instills a particular attitude um, in the young youngsters when he was managing the the youth team setup so i mean do look out for that is out i think on it's friday or thursday yeah um <clears throat> well, on that note who was the guy doing solent's commentary with alex crook i, I don't know not alex crook with um alan blackmore i, I don't Dave know Mason didn't do the commentary no he didn't it sounded like he'd like won a competition that guy do you think i thought he sounded like he um, might be scandinavian I don't know who he was. I probably just really insulted someone. Yeah, I, I did, but I don't know. Just anyway, sorry. sorry Tom, do you want to do a very, very quick bit of googling? Let's see if you can find yeah, out. And um, yeah. what what I might do at this point, whilst you're googling, I'm going to read out the um the 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 top. Let's go to the top five. Why not? It's top five in the league. Tottenham Hotspur played twelve, twenty five points. Liverpool played twelve, twenty five points. Leicester City played twelve, twenty four points. Southampton. Played 12, 23 points. And Chelsea played 12, 22 points. So there's your top five. Um, probably worth noting that uh, Manchester United and Manchester City have both got a game in hand. Manchester United on 20 points and Man City on 19. Which does mean that our um, game against Manchester City next weekend is important. Um but I mean, it's just great to read out the Premier League table and, and be, you know, instead of worrying about what West Brom or Fulham or Sheffield United are doing on any weekend. Instead, I'm now worrying about, you know, Tottenham and Liverpool and Leicester and Chelsea. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, changed. It, it was great, wasn't it? Cause, I mean, Saints put the pressure on by winning. And we saw both Liverpool and Tottenham dropping points. Leicester didn't. Um, and, and everyone around us really dropped points as well. Chelsea uh, as well earlier in the weekend. And, I mean, it is kind of wide open. From eighth up to first, there's five points separating mm. um, the teams. And, you know, Man City and ninth as well. It's exciting to be part of this. Although, actually, it's not the most points we've had after 12 games in the Premier League. I think we have more... Um, with Ronald Koeman, didn't we? At this yeah, point. That, the season we just discussed, the 2015-16. Yeah, and then the 2015-16 season, I think at this point we then went on something like an eight-game losing streak, didn't we? But didn't we, yeah, we, we did we end the season horrific or did we turn no, no. it around towards No, we end? ended the season brilliantly. But um, uh, let's have a quick look here. So... Game week 12 uh, in the Premier League, we beat Sunderland. Then after that, the next five games, we lost four and drew one. So we lost at home to Stoke, lost 3-1 to Man City, drew with Aston Villa at home, lost to Palace away, and then lost to Tottenham at home before we had that amazing 4-0 victory against Arsenal, 
Then we lost to West Ham United and lost uh, to Norwich City. So we had a horrendous run. In, that, um, that, the, the Arsenal game, that was a Shane Long masterclass, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was also when um, uh, Kuko okay. Martinez scored the, the most wonderful goal you're ever going to see. Um, so, I mean, let's hope Saints aren't going to lose six of their next eight games. I kind of, I don't feel like it's going to happen. I mean, I felt confident with Ralph, um, but I just don't see Saints losing six of their next eight games. Well, I, you know, I don't think Saints could, and this will come back and bite me. I've no doubt that Saints will now lose on Wednesday, but looking at everything, you can't imagine. I mean, you imagine Arsenal would probably. This is the game they would probably least want to play. Mm. and Saints can't you know you can't really imagine a team more susceptible to Saints than this Arsenal team so obviously Arsenal will win um, <laughs> a Birmingham hat trick a Birmingham hat trick but yeah you know you've got to look at it and think this is a seriously I mean when was the last time Saints went to the Emirates and went this is a seriously winnable game Has well when, I mean when, I when was the last time we won away at Arsenal Tom I mean if we're going to exclude League Cup we ever won at the Emirates? Oh, we've definitely won at the Emirates. I've been there for a couple of them, but they've always been in cup matches. I don't think we have in yeah. the league. I remember the cup Nathaniel Klein struck that ridiculous mm. goal, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, this. Uh, I'm really excited about Wednesday's game because I think that um, I like games where you can imagine one team is just almost like intimidated by the other. And I think Saints will will want to stamp their authority on on this Arsenal team, who you know, it's kind of mad what's happened to this Arsenal team, John. Yeah, Tom, here's a terrifying stat: at home in the Premier League, Arsenal have played Saints forty three times, won twenty seven, drawn fourteen, lost two mm. since nineteen ninety two. That is. Yeah, we're not one for really upsetting the apple cart, are we, a lot of the time, <laughs> like with the Man United game. Um, but, you know, we're never going to have a better chance, John, to, no. to, 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 to increase our win total at the Emirates by 50% in uh, one go um, than this game. Uh, and I still feel like we absolutely owe them one um, for that, that last-minute equaliser. I mean, that, that still upsets me to this day, Tom. Yeah, we were there, John. It was horrible. Yeah. But I mean, you know, they've got no Xhaka, no no Partey, no uh, what's the French French fullback called? You know, this is a this is a great chance for Saints. It's just unbelievable opportunity to get three points, and then because you know, then it's Man City, and then they can get, they have a free swipe at Man City if they beat Arsenal. No, I think if we beat Arsenal, the pressure's on then, Tom. Yeah. Well, the, 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 if you looked on, I mean, we're out, so, so the table now, um, the crazy thing by, is... By the way, Tom, I think it's 1987-88 season was the last time, which is obviously not the Emirates, that's Highbury. That's Highbury. Before football was was created by the Premier League. Yeah. Um, D- disappointing yeah, I mean, that the Emirates is going to be in lockdown, isn't it? Because I think 2,000 Arsenal yes. fans getting on their, their players' backs would have been quite beneficial, beneficial yeah. for Saints. And I saw a very Lulz 
uh, tweet earlier where it said uh, Southampton were going to appeal the Xhaka and Bellerin suspensions to see if they could. Um, but you know the thing is at what point do you stop talking about saints as a as a kind of fluky freak thing and and start actually taking their credentials maybe not as title challengers outside of this podcast but seriously but it's probably a game like arsenal because a game like arsenal is our 13th game of the season so that's it you're over a third of the way through the season and at the end of the day if saints have got 26 points after 13 games, then they're in contention. What they're in contention for, I don't know. But they're in contention. And this is a weird season. I I mean, I think the point where perhaps where people might start taking Saints seriously would be if we were to win against Arsenal and follow that up with a win against Man City, which I don't think is the most likely outcome of the next two games, but it is an outcome which is certainly well within the realms of possibility. Then we'd be on 29 points after 14 games, and we would probably be there or thereabouts near the top of the table, probably sharing the spot with either Tottenham or Liverpool. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, probably it would be if we beat Liverpool... And we're still up in the you know, top four. That I think mm. that will be the point where people will start taking us seriously. January the 2nd, if we beat Liverpool and we're still in the top four. Yeah, I, I think we, we... The great thing is is they'll fear no one. Um, they look like the squad is getting stronger. We've got threats off the bench. Um, and, and, you know, players like Diallo do look... You know, in the short cameos they've had, they do look good enough. Obviously, we know Redmond is good. We know Walcott is good. They've got a really strong team. Uh, it, it's just really exciting. And also, they've got a style of play which not many people can seem to really work out. Well, I think, you know what? I'm going to give Saints a bit more credit here. I think Saints, everyone knows what Saints are going to do when they play against them. But I don't think they know. I don't. I think Saints are doing it so well that even knowing what Saints are going to do isn't enough. You need to be good at doing something else to stop them. Well, didn't, didn't Chris Wilder say that, that they were amongst the best teams they've played this season? Yeah. One of, you know, the best team. I mean, I, I think, you know, opposition managers don't say things like that willy-nilly. Um, you know, bear in mind that, that Sheffield United have played Liverpool. Um, and that, you know, why not dream a bit, Saints fans? Why not think about it? I mean, I went to, I was fortunate enough to go to Milan with my dad and it was the best footballing experience of my life. Um, if we can do that again next season, then, then it's fantastic for Saints. Whether we do it in Champions League, Europa League, either way. Into Toto Cup. <laughs> Into Toto Cup. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, anything, you know, the Milk Cup. However we get there, we just get there. But <laughs> um, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. But also, you know, there's there was a bit on Twitter. I think, of, you know, we are well, let's get a bit emotional of of you know. The, I don't know if you've seen this, John, of Ralph almost crying on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, he looked a lot more convincing than Matt Hancock when he pre- pretended to cry <laughs> in that interview. I mean, it's it's great. I mean, I I don't know. I I guess like lockdown has been weird and COVID has been weird and. Saints have been one of the real shining lights in a pretty crummy 
2020 for a lot of people. Um, and yeah, I mean, Ralph was visibly emotional and really trying not to kind of bawl his eyes out. Um, and I, I don't know, Tom, I mean, I think when I get back to St. Mary's eventually, if, if we're still in and around this position that we're in at the moment, I'm also going to be emotional. I'm, you know, I cried watching Nativity on the BBC iPlayer, you know, the other day. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I've got to say, like, tears come a lot easier. Have you, you you're recently a father, Tom. Have you noticed that yeah. there's no control over what liquid comes out of your eyes after becoming a father? It's like there's a I, switch flicked for me. Well, I've, I've cried at Saints. I cried when I was fortunate enough to be at the last game in the Dell. I cried when Matty scored that goal. And I've actually cried since then talking about that goal. <laughs> um, I met a Saints fan in the Marquis de Granby pub uh, in Newcross, where I live. I had a few, we were watching the game against Everton where Tom Davis equalised and I had a few too many lagers. And I started talking about that and I, I cried. And my, my now wife was like, you're a moron. So I've definitely got it in me. <laughs> Here we go. Well, there it is, fans. There it is for tears at football games. Hopefully Saints will make us cry with joy. Um, I'm going to get on to an email, Tom. This one's from Christian Hinder. John and Tom, thank you very much for great podcasting. I'm a new Saints fan from Maryland. The United States of America started following the team in spring 2019. So really recent um, uh, fans. So welcome to the fold, Christian. Uh, he's followed the Premier League for a long time, but never had a team that he's followed closely. Then his son began attending Southampton Middle School, so he figured they'd uh, oh. they'd check the team out. Th- this is one of the things, isn't it? Like people support football teams for very very strange reasons, um, and I'd like to know, you know, if you've got a strange reason for following Southampton, you know, SaintsFCPodcast at gmail dot com. The obvious way is obviously, you know people are born in the area or that's the team that their dad supports so there's normally a family link but a lot of people don't have a family link or something obvious and then they they end up choosing a club through some random way and you know we we have quite a few listeners so there's going to be some of you out there who have got some odd ways that you've chosen southampton so do let us know um, so Christian chose it because his son started attending southampton middle school and now he pretty much never misses a match and when they can't watch it on TV, they listen in on the radio. Uh, he loves the fact that club's not one of the big money outfits and finds it hard to enjoy teams like the New York Yankees here in the United States of America. Um, Ralph and his team play really exciting games. Um, he said he found our podcast just before the restart this summer and he's learned a ton, um, probably more to do with our guest, Tom. <laughs> and uh, he played a lot of football growing up and watched World Cups and MLS games for a long time, but getting into the team was... T- taught him so much and um obviously football discussions not particularly prominent on the sports channels in america so that's where where we're teaching him something new and uh he, he says you know his historic saints teams as part of the ultimate 11 have been wonderful to hear about and helps him understand about how the game is played um he says when saints lost to man united last week i wasn't sure i could listen but i did and i really enjoyed the discussion wonderful to hear you guys talk about this team and encouraging and not just to say they are awful Hearing the crowd at the end of each episode is wonderful. Christian, you're now going to get to hear the crowd in real when you're watching the matches, which is so much better. And his son is totally into following the team too, despite having several American football jerseys. His Saints kit from last season is his favourite. There we go. Well, Christian, welcome to the podcast. Um, he also says at this point, stay well. Sorry this was so long. Certainly don't read it on the podcast. So I fluffed that. But, um, you know, there we go. Really nice to hear from you, Christian. <laughs> 
Tom, what, I mean, what's your message to someone who's coming to the Saints from, you know, you know, fr- from nowhere? Like 2019, they've started following. If people are just kind of like listening for the first time, uh, I've noticed that um, our stats, we're, we're picking up loads more listeners uh, in America. So people Ooh. stateside are starting to notice uh, Southampton. Um, you know, what... W- w- what is it about being a Southampton fan or following this team? Uh, well, no, I mean, I don't think just say brace, brace, you know, let's, let's try and be encouraging. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I think, well, A, there's, there's a few things, isn't there? Like, a, there's, there's nothing better in football than seeing a young player come through and the Saints are among the best for doing that. Um, and then I also think that they kind of have a, and this is, you know, it's not, my words, Ralph's words, like a heavy metal style of football that is very pleasing on the eye because I think people deep down love a bit of chaos. And I, I think Saints induce chaos in professional athletes and that's great fun. And also, I think we've moved away from the kind of melodrama. If you look at like, I know, you know I know we'll probably lose against more ways over like Arsenal or Man United. Like there's a, you know, I think... Jonathan Lewis piece in The Guardian, I think he said about Arsenal, about Man United, where everything that happens is a crisis. Yeah, everything is a disaster. And, you know, Saints have moved away from from that since the game that we don't speak the name of. And they're just kind of a really well-run outfit. And also I think they're something quite encouraging for life in general, which is like, you know, with Saints, which, again, I'm going to get a bit over the top here, but it's like... If you work hard and you apply yourself, um, you can be better at doing things than you were before. Because that's ultimately the lesson from Ralph, isn't it? That, that if you believe in yourself and you believe in what you're doing and you work hard and you apply yourself and you apply yourself consistently, then good things will happen to you. Because we haven't gone out with a load of 20 million pound players. Um, we didn't change manager. We just went back to basics, kept doing what we're doing. And now we are reaping the rewards of some great performances. And I think that's a that's just a good life lesson. Is it I mean there's a good life lesson there in faith as well, isn't there? Um you know, which which is one that the pundits always try and kind of draw on, oh, you know, it's amazing that Ralph didn't get sacked after that game. But I think even during that time when we were playing badly, there was still enough there that you could see that ralph was worth persevering with and it's all it's almost trusting your judgment when you know rome burns when everything around you is falling apart is being able to see something and understand something have faith to kind of stick with that and then and then push forward and um i mean amazingly i think the kind of lockdown has just really helped Southampton I think you know we had the international break and Southampton improved massively after that we had the lockdown Southampton improved massively after that we've had pre-season and Southampton are better again in this half of the 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 same season I think every passage of time that Ralph has with this side he takes them to another level uh, and we keep on improving and um I guess for new Saints fans, really, really enjoy this because at some point, Ralph won't be our manager, the team won't be playing well and you'll be going to St Mary's or watching the games and thinking, why why on earth do I bother? 
um, but then they surprise and delight you occasionally. I mean, Cuco Martinez scores goals that should not, you know, that defy the laws of physics. And that is something that, that is wonderful to behold. And you don't get that. I think, you know, if you follow a, a side that always does that, then it becomes meaningless. Yeah. And I think you're right, John. I, you know, we live in a, again, like to get all of it over the top, we live in a kind of very short-termist society, don't we, where, um, you know, the, the temptation is just to buy the new thing or do the new thing or throw it away and start on something else. And, again, Saints and the, and the resurgence under Ralph is, a, is an example of things that you don't need to do that. You know, you can improve things. And, um, yeah. It's it's a nice this is a nice tale and, and mm. who knows how it'll end, you know, for Saints this season. Um Do you but, think well, Ralph you know, is gonna challenge Ted Bates? Eighteen years manager of Southampton. I mean, I'd like that. <laughs> I'd like that. I mean Ralph is fascinating. I read a thing about him where when he was out of work he um picked do you see this on Twitter? He started playing tennis. Yeah. He'd never played tennis before and then he when he was out of work. And then by the time he got his next job, which wasn't very long, like a couple of years, he was in the top 20 players in his region. I, I don't think it was a couple of years. I think it was like six or seven months. Was it, six it was months? ridiculous, yeah. You know, see, he's obviously someone who's like insanely committed. And everything you read about him is he's, he works nonstop. Yeah, he's, he's ferociously devoted to this club. And you know, I, you know, I, again, the Guardian podcast talking about him going to Dortmund or people talking about him going to Arsenal, Man United. I mean, I don't, you know, it doesn't strike me as that kind of guy, to be honest. I'm not feeling that worried about that just yet. I know it will come at some point, but I I don't know. I have a bit of faith. Let's, let's yeah. stick with the faith. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I'm surprised, Tom. We've made it to an hour and five minutes on our, our recording, and I thought we were going to struggle with things to say because it was such an elementary victory against Sheffield United. But here we are. We're talking about what it means to be a Saints fan at a bloody brilliant time to be a Saints fan. Fourth in the Premier League table, and uh, you know, we've got games against Arsenal versus Man City, which normally I would be looking forward to with a real sense of dread and trepidation. And I'm not, Tom. I'm I'm looking forward to them with a sense of excitement and a feeling that we can beat anyone. And just to have that feeling uh, as a Saints fan is just brilliant. Yeah, we'll take the game to those guys, and yeah. I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, so Tom one last thing to do now and that's listen to the real Saints fans um, and we won't hear them against Arsenal but we'll hear them against Man City <laughs>